Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we have Lucy on, who is a naturalist and conservationist. Hi Lucy, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you actually do? Yes, um, it's a bit of a broad uh, umbrella, so I wear many hats. <laughs> <laughs> I am a general naturalist. I describe myself as a nature nerd. I'm just a wildlife lover um, and I like to write about it, tell people about it and communicate about nature, the natural environment, conservation and why it's important. So how did you sort of decide to go into this industry? Um, so I kind of fell into it. Um, one thing I'm really passionate about is that every single human being, I reckon, on the planet has a natural affinity with an attraction to nature. Um, you know, most people you talk to will say that they love David Attenborough, they like watching a wildlife documentary. <laughs> You know, show me anyone who wouldn't want to, you know, swim with dolphins. That's the ultimate dream, isn't it? Yeah. Um, everybody loves some kind of, of animal or wildlife. And that's because, you know, we've evolved as a species in the natural environment. And um, when we're all very young and very little, we have this natural uh, affection with, with wildlife. And unfortunately, in a lot of the modern world, that's been lost. Um, and, you know, people in the modern day are less and less connected with our natural environment and nature. Um, I didn't live like that. I led, I um, had a childhood where I was, you know, always outside, always muddy, always prodding and poking at wildlife and creepy crawlies. And that love never really left me. So um, all I knew when I was a kid was I want to work with animals. I want to work with animals. And until I was about six or seven, I thought I wanted to be a vet because that's the only job I knew of that involved working with animals. Um, and that was until I found out that there were people out there who did this thing called conservation. And that's when it changed my life. Um, and so I've just kind of pursued being close to nature and working with nature for as long as I can remember. And I'm not very practical, so I'm not very good with a, with a spade on a nature reserve. <laughs> um, and I'm not very uh, scientific in the sense of um, don't ever ask me to do stats or anything mathematic, but mm. um, I can talk about nature as I'm sure you can tell. And <laughs> I like to try and inspire people about wildlife and nature and why it's important and hopefully raise some awareness of the, the sad state of affairs it's in. So that was a very long story. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, so obviously, in the world at the moment, um, conservation is one of the most uh, important things we can do for our planet. Um, so I, what is it you uh, do a, more or less on a day-to-day basis to conserve? Yes. Yeah, so in the wider kind of conservation world, um, a lot of the focus is on climate change, which is rightly so. It's the, it's the biggest threat our species has ever, has ever faced. Um, but what's not often given the same amount of airtime that's just as important is the biodiversity crisis. And the two things are inextricably interlinked. So the fact that we're facing the sixth mass extinction event in the history of life and we're causing it as a species, it's pretty scary. Um, and the way that we treat our natural environment is exacerbating and worsening climate change. So deforestation, loss of our peatlands, the way we treat the oceans, it's all interlinked with the the, the climate crisis and a lot of our action on climate crisis tends to focus on technology and you know are we driving electric cars are we turning the lights off are we uh, recycling are we using less plastic but there's a lot of actions we could take to boost nature and boost biodiversity that will in turn help us with climate change so letting forests regenerate naturally and using amazing species like beavers as ecosystem engineers so an animal that you can release that will help manage the landscape and reduce things like flooding so it will mitigate the effects of flooding on a community 
Um, so I advocate, my, my kind of role, self-described role, is to try and advocate all of these solutions and educate people about it because your average Joe on the street so disconnected from nature and wildlife they don't know what it is you know most people couldn't name 10 species of british bird for example mm. i'm talking about most of this in a uk basis but it's applicable around the world so um you know on an individual basis i have actions that i do to try and you know solve the problem but the whole thing is about all of us as a species changing our behavior so as much as i can you know buy organic food and not use disposable plastic as much as possible and not fly it's all about all of us kind of acting together to have that cumulative effect and trying to you know change things from the top so you you mentioned that you've always loved animals and always been very involved uh, in the natural world did that translate into sort of school did you do subjects like biology you, you know were you involved with that with the vision of going into being a vet and, and into the animal world yes um so when i was younger which wasn't that long ago but i'm not like um <laughs> There weren't that many kind of uh, natural history um, opportunities in education. So I studied at, a at GCSE, I studied um, as my extra kind of options. Geography was like the most <laughs> naturey thing I could do. And then at A-level, I studied biology and geography again. Um, you know, but now they've got all sorts of snazzy things. Like, I think there's going to be a natural history GCSE next year in the UK. Oh, really? Um, which is really cool. And at A-level now, at certain sixth forms and colleges, you can do environmental science and things like that. So I did go to uni, but I, by all means, don't think uni is a necessity to work in conservation. Mm. Um, you know, so much natural knowledge can be taught by experience. Just getting outside and sticking your nose in and teaching yourself. Uh, what is it you studied at university? Uh, wildlife conservation I studied. So Okay. And did that, um, did that, do you think that helped prepare you for uh, going in to um, help conserve, conserve the country? A little bit. Um, I think... No, it did. Uh, obviously, it gave me an education and I learned about the science aspect of it, but it it doesn't really gear you up for how to teach you, like I said, like the average Joe about what yeah. wildlife is. Um, so it was very science-led, whereas, you know, there's a lot more people-y things that you can do. So I actually have a question um, regarding uh, conservation. We hear a lot about um, conserving habitats and things like that and the actual animals but you don't hear as much about the plants and i was actually wondering what is it what, what, what is happening to uh considering the conservation of plant life in the country oh that's an excellent question um this is where you get into kind of factions of natural history and everybody has wars like birds are there insects are there plants are there <laughs> but when it comes down to it what makes a habitat is its plant life and that plant life is directly related to the geology underneath so the rocks that you've got and that will determine what kind of plants can grow in a habitat so you might have woodland you might have a short grassland you might have a really wet soggy acidic bog and those plants will determine what animals come there so the rarer the habitat the rarer the animals that are in it so you know, people tend to go for the sexy megafauna when they're thinking of conservation. They think elephants and lions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's those little things you said. So it's plants are the big issue. And we have a really messed up relationship with our plant life in this country. Um, from the stuff that's in our kind of the places we live, so cities and towns, um, local authorities tend to just mow any thing that I mean, first of all, don't get me started on the concept of weeds. There's no such thing as a weed. People <laughs> hate in massive inverted commas weeds but they're just our native species and so many insects and other creatures rely on them things yeah. like thistles people hate thistles but 
one of our most beautiful birds, the goldfinch. It's got a bright red head, like it stuck its face in jam, and it's got bright yellow wings. It looks like a little parrot. They rely on thistles to eat the seeds all throughout winter. So if you cut back thistles, goldfinches have got nothing to eat. And nobody thinks of that. They just think, oh, it's ugly. Cut it out. I, I think personally, I think one of the reasons maybe we're not as, um, I want, don't want to say into, but as aware as conservation in the country is, I've never seen that bird you've just described or many of the other birds that we have in this country. And I, yeah. we live in the countryside, essentially. Yes. Um, and still, I haven't, you know, I've never seen that bird. Exactly. And that, that's for two reasons. One, you know, I will, I, will, I will fight to the death to say that the UK has fantastic, amazing, incredible, sexy, wild wildlife. Mm. But we've, we are one of also the most nature depleted countries in the world. We've gotten rid of a hell of a lot of it. You know, we've got really bad track history with making things extinct in this country. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and a lot of our landscape now is managed in a way that's really not good for wildlife. So there's that. And then there's also the fact that we're never educated about it. So unless you've mm. got a figure in your life that teaches you about wildlife, you will have seen goldfinches. I will put all the money I've got on the fact that you will have seen <laughs> goldfinches, but you'll just never have known because yeah. to you, they're a speck in the sky. But if you, if you learn how to recognize something by its song, you can think, oh, a goldfinch. And then if you've got binoculars, you can lift them up and have a look and see that face that I described. What, what are we doing to manage the country in the, in the wrong way? You mentioned mowing, you know, I'd imagine the side of roads and things uh, by councils, but can we rewild and what can we do? Yes, there's lots. Um, so, you know, we always have to strike a balance between how we use our land. So obviously we need to use it for things like agriculture, for growing food for ourselves, uh, for forestry, for timber, for, you know, sustainable timber. But there's so much land that, so first of all, we waste a huge amount of food. Mm. So we intensively, intensively, intensively manage land for agriculture. And even since the 90s, the number of average sprays a crop will get of pesticide, uh, it's like anything that kills an insect, <laughs> um, <laughs> has increased by like four times or something ridiculous. It's like it's an average of like 17 sprays per year your average field gets of since pesticides. Since the 90s? Just since, yeah, since the 90s. Wow. So since I was a kid, it's massively intensified. So if you think if you're spraying, so let's take a field. If you're spraying a field with pesticides several times a year, mm. herbicides to get rid of unwanted inverted commas weeds, <laughs> and then fungicides to stop fungal infections of the plants. So the fungicides will dissolve the fungal network in the soil that trees you to communicate with each other. That'll go. And then all of the insects that would live in that field, they're all gone any of the weeds that would be within that field, they all die off. So the, all of the birds that rely on eating seeds from weeds, they disappear. So we've, we're seeing that everywhere. Things like the turtle dove mm. have declined by over 90% in this country. They're wow. going to go extinct in the next decade, pretty much if we don't change. Um, and then all of these insectivores, so things that like flycatchers, spotted flycatchers used to be one of the most common garden birds in the country. And they've declined by, oh, it's at least three quarters, something again, terrifying. I'm so surprised by these numbers and how um, how it seems to be so close to, to where we are because conservation isn't a new thing. You know, f since we've been growing up, it's all been on the TV, been on the news mm. and it's still happening. Why yes. is that? Um, people are just very detached. We live in a, a highly consuming society. Um, I think we've, we've come to expect um, easy to buy food at a really really cheap price so convenience and cost are the two things that people factor in so walk into i won't name any supermarket any supermarket 
and you can demand at any time of year pineapple avocado beef from around the world mm. you know like in this in the uk we grow loads of sheep uh, like sheep for lamb and then we export most of our sheep and then import from new zealand so we'll find sheep from new zealand but we just want the lowest price at our convenience all the time we don't think hang on is it should we be able to buy pineapples in december <laughs> because no i want a pineapple for my pina colada so <laughs> yeah. do you know what i mean I, it's, it's i guess we there's don't... a balance to be struck right yes you know. it's about consuming less simplifying our lives and not wasting a lot of food which we do do um and just thinking about that impact it's a massive massive problem and i often sound quite doom and gloom about it but I, I see you worked with uh, a charity called Hill, I believe, uh, re, the Rewilding Charity. Yes. Um, that looks brilliant. They're just buying up small pieces of land and just letting it go back to nature, right? Yes, that's exactly right. So uh, their vision at the moment is just for England, um, and they will be um, basically adding more and more parcels as they kind of fundraise as they go, go along. And their idea is to buy land that's accessible by most people, so near towns and cities. Um, and like you said, just letting nature do its thing, um, which is which is a whole new philosophy in itself. That's very controversial in <laughs> conservation. Um, there's a really good book that's based on the Nepa State called Wilding by Isabella Tree, and that's mm-hmm. about taking what was previous agricultural intensively farmed land and letting nature do its thing. And the wildlife that's returning to that piece of land is astounding people across the entire conservation sector. It's amazing. Really? So what would be uh, the average day for you? you know, get up and what do you do? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I suppose there isn't one really. Um, in my day job, I work for a conservation charity and I work in communications. So um, it might be communicating about nature reserves. It might be writing a blog about you know, a new piece of policy that might affect wildlife. It might be writing a factual blog about some really cool bird behaviour. Um, and then in my spare Is the majority t- of it online? Majority of it's online, but we do um, press and TV and radio and all sorts of things like that. Um, all the comp stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then in my spare time, it's all about just getting outside. Um, so all of my nature knowledge is either self-taught or I've linked up with volunteers who are just the most wonderful people in the world for nature charities and just going out and teaching myself wildlife. So finding natural spaces, just go for a walk. I don't have any fancy equipment. I've got binoculars, but um, you don't need expensive ones. I use my phone for most of my photography and just go and see what I can see. And if I know what it is then get a good photo of it is of it. Um, if I don't know what it is, get a good photo of it and then try and find out later and then write about it. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's loads of great content on your Instagram. Actually you had, had a look through it the last couple of weeks. Um, you do loads of videos explaining about different species and there's some botany on there and there's uh, animals and uh, whole stories about reintroducing beavers to the country as well, which I found really interesting. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, my passion with nature is from the big to the little. So seeing something awesome like like beavers that have been extinct in this country since the medieval era are coming back. It's like the best thing. Yeah. Um, all the way down to the tiniest, you know, spider that I found in my bathroom the other night. It's the big and the little that does it for me. Because <laughs> I read something a while ago about reintroducing wolves to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about that? Well, when people say rewilding, that's the first thing that they start worrying yeah. about. Um, worrying? I can't wait. <laughs> that's the thing, yeah. I mean, people have like livelihoods and they worry that it might impact on things like, you know, sheep farming or even, you know, pets or whatever. Mm. Um, wolves, if it is ever going to happen, it's very, very far away in the UK. Uh, rewilding isn't necessarily about those big 
charismatic species. Mm. Um, the thing is, is when you do have a functioning ecosystem, everything keeps itself in check. And so that's that's mm. what I mean. The the deer populations in the country are, are too high or or something at the moment, and yes. having those big predators controls that, right? And it's better the for, the forests and and flowers yes. as well. That's exactly it. It's that knock on effect. Um, there's been studies of wolves that have been reintroduced to Yellowstone, where mm. before that there was areas that were completely like denuded landscapes where deer were overgrazing. And then as soon as you put wolves in, it means the deer avoid certain areas because they feel a little bit more at risk in those areas. Perhaps it's a bit more steep sided and they think, well, if I'm here and a wolf comes, I won't be able to run away. <laughs> so those areas that the deer then leave allow plants to regenerate. And then where those plants regenerate, it brings back birds that haven't been there for ages and insects and da da da. It's like a chain reaction. But I don't think wolves are coming anytime to the UK. There are other reintroductions that are certainly possible. So things like pine martins to England, that's mm -hmm. happening. Um, beavers, like I mentioned, white-tailed eagles, um, wow. absolutely colossal birds. I very think I also saw um, a potential big cat to help uh, control the fox population as well. It may have been something like a European lynx. Yes, there has been lynx, again, floated. Um, that, again, is a very contentious one. Um, I'd say at the moment, most places have got their hands full with trying to persuade people to accept beavers. <laughs> I, I guess the contention probably comes from the farming community, and some may say rightly so, because Definitely. it is their livelihoods, and yes. it's about striking that balance, right? If we could yes. introduce wolves and lynxes and, you know, say to the farmers, any losses you have will be offset by this fund or whatever, yes. then that's the way to go about it, right? Yeah, definitely. And it could be very cleverly done with a subsidy system. Mm. Um, so right now, a lot of farming is very, very heavily subsidised, um, particularly things like sheep farming. So we're already, as taxpayers, shelling out a lot of money to farming. And if we can be smarter about it, reduce some areas of farming and subsidize people to return the land to nature and then create subsidies for mitigation of loss if something like links if it ever happened did take a sheet i, um, I think I, I read something about when europe first introduced their um, subsidies for farming there were certain crops that were subsidized a lot higher and literally nearly every farmer started tearing up their fields and planting yes. these and then basically you just end up with one vegetable yeah <laughs> yeah it's like that's that's the intensive so the the common ag agricultural policy cap it's called um, yeah. has had a lot of effects in terms of there's some fascinating if you want to get really nerdy about it there's some fascinating <laughs> um aerial studies you can look at that show the increase in the average size of a field since something as recent as the 50s mm -hmm. so what used to be if you looked at like a whole area near the village there'd be like 20 small scale fields all rotationally farmed on a small basis there'd be a network of hedgerows and big old oak trees and all these physical features breaking up the, the landscape and that would hold things like turtle doves like nightingales you know in the in the margins you'd have things like lapwings and skylarks and mm. but since the 50s to now what has been 20 fields has become two fields all those hedges have gone those trees right. have gone it's opened into one big desert of an empty space and the wildlife's gone along with it and that's you, the effect of the policy do you know the sort of statistics around whether that's been better for the farmers have they been able to make more money i suppose or it, it, does it actually represent a gain for society and for the farmers no i'd say no what might have been any short-term gains financially for farmers and businesses um what we've got to think about is our it's our collective future mm. and this isn't a blame game because quite often in conservation it sounds like well we're the conservationists you're the yeah. farmers we're people we buy the farmers food we're all in this together <laughs> yeah. it's not an us and them it's an us umbrella 
humans as a species are doing this and it's our collective future and so the farming practices of yesterday and today are impacting on our future so even if it's been profitable till now it's not sustainable so it does need to change i guess some conservation benefits farmers as well in some aspects yes it does yeah um so you, you know you can be really clever with it and with diversification as well if you you know perhaps intensively farmed less of an area um nep estate has shown what um tourism can bring in so ecotourism um people want to come and see this wildlife people want to come and see these things and you can do different experiences mm. um, but also food is very very cheap it's very cheap and that's a very contentious political topic but as a as an average household now we spend something like 11% of our income on food, whereas in the past it used to be about 40%. Oh, wow. So we, what we think of as being expensive, food, I mean, that's the main thing we need in a day, apart from water and air. Like, it should be a big kind of focus of our lives, but we kind of take it for granted a lot. You can, you know, walk into any old fast food chain and buy a McBucket of chicken <laughs> <laughs> for like three or four quid. And it's like, where's the value on that, the process that's created that? You know what I mean? What would be uh, some of the positive traits uh, or personality traits, sorry, that um, someone would need to be in the industry? Um, oh, I think there's lots. I think just passion. Passion will, will carry it. I mean, in the conservation sector, it's full of the most wonderful, passionate people that you'll come across. People are so invested in it. And there's a special quality of people who have the nature thing, as I call it, who see nature and see wildlife through these, like, these glasses where you can just understand it um, and the passion just flows through people so i think passion number one dedication you know if you want to learn your stuff if you want to get bird knowledge you do have to spend time but it's kind of a chain reaction again in that once you find that you know you tick off that first bird and you're like oh i identified a great tip <laughs> and then you're like oh what's that bird oh what's that oh, oh. and then it just escalates and before you know it you, you're in a hide <laughs> with binoculars <laughs> what do you think that people have maybe connected with nature more since we've had this whole lockdown thing going on? I think certainly maybe our generation have um, yes. become more and more aware and are maybe looking at our lives and thinking, what can we do to help? Massively. I think it's been, it's been insane. I mean, I've been harping on about this for years and the number of random people from like my high school and all sorts that have got in touch with me during the last like four months and have been like, what's this bird in my garden because <laughs> <laughs> people are sat at home they're not commuting to work they're not taking the kids to school they're sat and they're just you know they might be on a zoom and staring out the window and they see something mm. um there was a really good hashtag on um the rspb did a um a thing called the breakfast bird watch and if you typed in hashtag breakfast bird watch on twitter and then just added the word never the number of posts that were like i've lived here for 30 years and i've never seen this Really? I've never seen these birds before. I never knew that I had a hedgehog in my garden. People, you know, and people in proper lockdown when we were only allowed out an hour a day, people were walking new routes on the doorstep that they'd never walked on before and finding patches of woodland and meadows and streams and all these things. And they were like, oh, this is actually a funny nice. you should funny you should say that actually. We have um we have loads of countryside near us and uh, there's huge sort of uh, river and tributary area near us. Uh, and you'd see very few people sort of walking their dogs or even just getting out there and, and seeing it all. Mm. And since lockdown, it's been rammed. There's exactly. Been hundreds of people yeah. over there. And you're like, where have you all come from? Yes, it's been amazing because I'm out there all the time anyway, being a weirdo. And the number of times I've been like <laughs> lying in the mud trying to watch a king 
fissure or crawling through the undergrowth trying to film a beetle and people have come past me all wearing like really clean clothes and white trainers like looking very lost I'm like welcome this is the outdoors let me show you this beetle it's great (laughs) what are some of the biggest positives and opportunities you've taken uh, out of the industry I saw you've you've worked on some amazing stuff for the BBC sort of spring watch and winter watch and yeah it, it looks great yeah, that's been an honour because I'm a nerd and that's been like my favourite programme for the history of it being on. So, yeah, that, I, that was chuffed a bit to work on Springwatch this year for the first time. Um, what was the question? Sorry, what are the positives? Yeah, the positives and opportunities you've taken out of the industry. Um, I'd say just knowledge. I'd say the knowledge from the conservation sector, working, having worked on a few nature reserves, the number of local people that have an affinity with their nature reserve. Um, and it is often older generation to stereotype but people of the older generation have completely different childhoods to us and so there seems to be a lot more kind of hardcore naturalists in there but the the amount of time they've got to teach a younger person who's got that enthusiasm you know these experiences that if you weren't savvy you'd pay a lot for to go on like a private bird watching tour you're looking at like 50 quid for a half day Whereas I can write to my local nature reserve and say, hey, are you doing any surveys? And they, oh yeah, come out. We'll show you all of these birds for free. Just, and we'll teach you about them whilst we're at it. Um, so I'd say the knowledge and the passion of people who take the time to show you and just do stuff. Whilst like you've uh, been working in the industry, have you seen any um, really positive impacts in work you've been doing? Yes, I'd say, I mean, I've worked on some amazing conservation projects that have seen amazing outcomes for wildlife. So um you know, bringing breeding birds back to a nature reserve or restoring a habitat. Um, you know, lots of wins for nature, but I think the thing that affects me the most is the wins for people and seeing, um, connecting completely new people to nature is one of the best things. You know, if somebody's never held a frog and you put that slimy little weirdo in their hands <laughs> and seeing their eyes light up with like amazement and that's, that's magic. And that's, you know, there's a number of people that I've worked with who've been volunteers or visitors to nature reserves who've then started on a journey to become proper nature nerds and even start working in the sector themselves. And that's where it's really, really cool to see people get, you know, they get suddenly the thing that you love so much and it's like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's really good. And what about some of the less favorable aspects of, uh, of the job? Oh, it's just soul destroying. (laughs) <laughs> which sounds stupid <laughs> it's, the it's best. an unending battle isn't it so. yes i wrote about this recently on on my instagram it is it's a um a blessing and a curse having the nature thing and working in conservation because it's the most fascinating wonderful brilliant beautiful subject in the world and you'll never run out of things to learn about or see and it's just mind-blowing on a daily basis but you're also seeing it be destroyed constantly and you're seeing all these negative effects and when you go outside of your nature bubble and you talk to people in real world and you're like whoa people literally do not care about this so it's like in equal parts really inspiring and really really depressing because it is it is in a really bad state i sound like a negative nelly but it is not it is not good as attenborough would tell you it is not good (laughs) (laughs) um we like to talk a little bit about um, sort of incomes you could expect working within the industry. Um, we've done some research and we've just got some average figures. And if you could say if you agree or not with these figures. So um, starting out, you're probably looking at maybe 18K um, with 10 years experience, maybe 25 to 30,000. Does that sort of fit with your knowledge of the area? Probably, yes. Um, the sad thing is about uh, the nature and conservation sector is nobody's in it for the money but that's also the great thing 
because mm. there's no kind of egos in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you don't do it for, for if you want stacks of cash, might not be the sector for you, but that's what I love about it. Um, you know, a lot of it's charity, so it's charity income. Mm. Um, but then again, it goes hand in hand with living a more simple life. If you're reducing your consumption and living quite, you know, simply and appreciating, nature is free to appreciate, that's the best thing about it then you might not have as many outgoings. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely more than enough to live on. Um, okay. Yeah, you're just not going to be a millionaire. <laughs> what would be uh, something that's not in the job description that you have to deal with day to day? <laughs> Ooh. I was going to suggest the mud, but I, I think most people, you might, yeah, you might have the, to know that you have to be into that. I don't <laughs> that's know. That's in the job description. Um, I would say becoming the go-to bird nerd or wildlife nerd yeah okay. so you know like i said people that you've not heard of from 10 years will send you you know a photo of half of a dead bird that a cat brought in <laughs> and ask what that is you've got to get used to that oh you like birds you must know this XYZ. <laughs> <laughs> or the best is a photo with like there'll be a gray speck in the distance 50 meters away and they'll be like can you tell us what this is no yeah, it's, no <laughs> it's just a pigeon <laughs> yeah <laughs> What's your sort of most memorable moment working in conservation? Maybe it's something you've seen or, or done. Oh, crikey. Oh. Um, Maybe the beavers. I've never seen a beaver in the wild yet, so that's mm. yet to happen. Touch wood, pat wood. Um, <laughs> hopefully I'll see one in October. Um, most memorable, most memorable. I don't know. The thing is, and this is a really crap answer, sorry, but... Um, those mind-blowing memorable moments happen on a daily or weekly basis when you're outside looking at nature you know like last week i saw a kingfisher oh tell you what i saw yesterday i saw a sparrowhawk <laughs> i saw yesterday oh, yeah. i saw a sparrowhawk ripping apart a pigeon excellent oh, my word. i go uh, i get quite a few of those around where i live actually yeah have, um, so, i have a shed down the bottom of the garden and every now and then one sits on top of there with a with a pigeon um yes. enjoying yes. his uh, lunch that's the thing there's always something spectacular and like i'll change what my favorite bird is every 20 minutes or <laughs> you know this week it might be all bats and then next week i might see a really good fungus and then you know the week after you see something else really cool so it's always changing but that's that's it there's always something amazing to give you that kind of wow factor that's brilliant so how does somebody progress within the conservation space is there how do you progress in it i suppose um, so there's a very conventional route. Um, I kind of cheated and just got a job without volunteering, which isn't really how things go. Um, but so you, everybody says volunteer and that can be quite um, exclusive because you do need a certain amount of financial backing to do that. So mm. if you do go to uni, I cannot enough recommend doing a sandwich year if, you're, if your student loans will fund it and mm. you can get a grant for it. Um, so multiple organizations, the Wildlife Trust, the RSPB, do residential internships. So you can go and live on a goddamn nature reserve for six months or a year and you can get trained how to do there's You know, there's internships for practical stuff. So to become a nature reserve warden, there's internships for people engagement. So how to run like a visitor site and lead guided walks and teach people about wildlife or lead school groups and things like that. So you can do that if you go to uni and you get some year. You can do it before or after if you can fund yourself to not work for a year or on a very low pay because some of them do do bursaries but that's not by any means accessible for most people so what i would say is be creative um, think about what your skills are where does your passion lie and what are you good at and what do you want to do if you want to work in comms if you want to work in 
graphic design, if you want to work in video production, approach these organizations off your own back and don't be afraid to keep trying because it might not happen straight away, but you can create your own volunteer role. People are crying out for volunteer roles. So it doesn't have to be a written opportunity that's on the internet or on a volunteer thing. You can get in touch with your local wildlife trust and be like, Hey, I'm really good at editing videos. You want someone to do this for two hours a week. And then you can do it in the evening. You can do it around your time. So if you're working part-time, if you're at uni, um, and you can develop your own skills then. So I think that's definitely a win-win. Okay. Brilliant. Um, would you still go into the industry knowing what you know now? Yes. I couldn't do any of it. <laughs> I couldn't. I, sometimes it gets so overwhelmingly like everything's dying that I think maybe I should just go and work in a pub, but then I just, you can't know what you know. Yeah. So, um, no, it's just, it's the best thing in the world and the best people in the world. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on, Lucy. I've really, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Lucy, where can uh, we find you on social media? Uh, oh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter under Lucy Lapwing. Dare I say it, I'm venturing into YouTube and TikTok, but we'll get there. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you. It's Lovely been absolutely to brilliant to speaking to you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. Bye.